hey, some great news. We just heard right now they are pouring concrete down in Juarez at Emmanuel Children's Home at the school. So that is super exciting. I just heard from Bob just a minute ago. This That's so great. Um, hey, today we're going to be diving back into 1 Corinthians, and I want to open up by saying this. If you've ever struggled with Scripture, i got some really good news for you. In fact, if you want to write this down, I would encourage you to do so. Struggling with Scripture can be a sign of spiritual maturity. Isn't that good news? Because I struggle a lot. The Bible, if you're not familiar with it, it is a collection of ancient documents. And within this collection, you've got books that are written by different people in different historical contexts, on different continents, in different languages. And then on top of that, you've got all these different genres. You've got stories, you've got poetry, you've got proverbs, you've got prophecy, you've got narrative history. You even have this category, this genre called apocalyptic revelations. Now, this spring and summer, the letter that we're going to be exploring is 1 Corinthians. I mentioned that earlier. The fact that it's a letter is challenging. Because even if you have an open letter, you've got a context to it. And so it can often be hard to discern then what applied to them then in that letter, what applies to us now. And then on top of all that, when it comes to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians doesn't just take one topic and then move on to the next topic. It takes these topics and then it it weaves them all together. He comes in and out and they're related to one another in all these nuanced and complicated ways. Even for people that study scripture for a living, 1 Corinthians, there are sections of this book that just throw them for a loss. For example, 1 Corinthians 7.14, what do you do with this? It says, an unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So if you just turn to your neighbor right now and explain what that means to... to (laughs) I, if you struggle with verses like this, I would offer you that's actually a sign of maturity. If you come to some passage like this and you're like, oh, obviously what's going on here is, I, I don't know what I do with that. I, there's no obviously there. there. There is a lot of humility as we do our best to try to discern, you know, Paul, who's got this revelation that he's stewarding, um, this mystery that he's stewarding. And here we are, 21st century, looking back on that. It takes a lot of humility. Um, to approach the scriptures. Now, today's text is going to press into this whole idea of maturity and immaturity because the text, as we pick up where we left off, it goes into this, this whole concept. And if 1 Corinthians teaches us anything, it teaches us so much of what God considers wise and what God considers mature and how that is so different. It is so different than what we would normally consider often wise or mature. One of the repeated themes in Corinthians is this. If, if you think you've got it, if you think you get it, you don't. He, he repeats that type of line over and over again. So if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. If a church planted by Paul and assisted by Apollos had blind spots, is it possible that we do too? Is it possible you could say to us, you think you understand wisdom, you think you understand maturity, but you don't underthink it, think you don't understand it as as well as you think you do. If the Corinthians lost their way, uh, and and we live in a world like we do, it's very easy for us to have blind spots of our own. All right, uh, some of you may have heard last last week I was mentioning, I haven't wrestled with a message like I'm wrestling with this one um, since we had our identity series. 
this this is really challenging on so many fronts. So thank you for joining us here for it. Here's one of the reasons why this is so challenging, and this is worth writing down too. First Corinthians, it challenges many of the targets that suburban churchgoers aim for. When it comes to spiritual maturity, there are so many things that we would go, yes, that is next level faith. <laughs> and Paul says, no, it is crazy. Now, we all have metrics for spiritual maturity. You may not have conscious ones, but you at least have unconscious ones where you would say that's spiritually mature, that's spiritually immature. We all have them. Uh, and some of them are held by individuals. There are sometimes churches that have their own metrics for this. Uh, there are also people who judge Christianity from the outside. They have their metrics. Everyone's got metrics. And here are some common ones. Here are some common metrics that people often say, yeah, this is spiritual maturity. Saying yes to Jesus. Identifying as Christian in a culture where that's not easy to do. That you can come to quick theological arguments about controversial topics with confidence. That you're quick to call out sin when you see it. That you're moved beyond legalism and now you're celebrating freedom in Christ. That you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues. That you have, quote, prophetic powers. That you understand, quote, all mysteries and knowledge. That you, quote, give away all that you have. That you, quote, give up your own body to the flames to be burned. Now, there are things on this list. I'm like, yes, that if only I had that kind of faith. And one of the reasons I'm wrestling with this whole message here today, everything on this list that I just gave you, Paul would either say you're aiming too low or that's incomplete in and of itself or you're altogether wrong. All of those things, many of which we would say, that's a, that's up here. If those aren't the right targets for spiritual maturity, what is? Let's have a conversation about that. And let's start here. If you are taking notes, if you write this down, what does Scripture teach us? What does Scripture teach us about spiritual maturity? If you're ready to approach some very difficult passages with humility and courage, take a deep breath and say, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. In chapter one, in chapter one, after a brief introduction, which we did in week one of the series, Paul dives right into a conversation about division in church. That's what we did last week. After Paul brings up division, we're still in chapter one. It appears as though now he's moving on. It appears as though, okay, I talked about division. Now let's talk about wisdom. The wisdom of God versus human wisdom. Verses 22 through 24 says this. Jews demand signs. The Greek to, Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. All right. Things that Paul is teaching, the things that Paul is modeling to the Corinthians, it's very, 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 very different than what they were used to seeing and hearing. Okay, let's jump ahead. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. You see, he's making these, these different contrasts here. When Paul was in Corinth, he was very, very intentional. He was deconstructing what they thought of as wisdom, what they thought of as this is what a, a person who is just all about God, what they should look like, present themselves as, all these kind of things. All right, let's move on to verses 7 through 10. But we, 
impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Here, Paul is doing what he does throughout this letter. Now he's weaving in another theme, the the essential nature of the Holy Spirit and how this affects everything. It's essential to understand, he is essential to understand the wisdom and ways of God. Verse 14, back to the contrasts. The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, so I give you all this build up. We're going to spend our majority of time here in, in chapter three, but I wanted to show you what Paul is doing here. He, he's giving this big build up where, okay, there are spiritual people and they're mature. And then there's these other people who are not spiritual. They're of the flesh. They're of, of the natural world. I would assume many of the Corinthians are tracking. They're going, yep, yep, yep. We're with you, we're with you, we're with you. And then we come to chapter three. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd encourage you right now. You can just stop, hit pause, um, go to Bible.com. They've got a great free Bible app you can download. Here it is. This is what comes next after Paul sets this all up. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Corinthians would have been shocked by this, at least most of them, because Paul is saying, you are not acting like spiritual people. You're not acting like it. You're acting like people who crucified Christ. Those people I was just talking about. You're acting like them. Now, remember how he opens his, his book? He's talking to people that said yes to Christ. He's talking to people who had received the Holy Spirit as evidenced by, go to chapter 12. They were experiencing spiritual gifts that many of us have never seen with their own eyes. They're applying concepts like freedom in Christ that the world had never heard before. They're on the cutting edge. They had aligned themselves with godly teachers like Apollos and Peter and even Paul himself. They are hitting spiritual targets of maturity that we would say, you're, you're, boom, you got it. And what does Paul say? He goes, you're not spiritual people. You're people of the flesh. Your, your faith is still in its infancy. Okay, let's go to verses two through four. See if he lightens up a little bit on them. He goes, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready. You're still of the flesh. For while there are jealousy or is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only human ways? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Paulos, are you not being merely human? All right, if you hear last week, division was the theme. See how these keep coming in? He just flows. All of this is related. If you got division the way you have division, don't call yourself spiritual people. You're spiritually immature. Paul began with the topic of division in churches. He circles back to it again as he's talking about spiritual maturity. All right, so I'm going to be hitting all kinds of light bulbs that were happening in my head as this is going on. So I'll do my best to be coherent, but so much of this is, oh, oh, oh. So here's one of my oh, oh, oh's, and it's embarrassing that it took me 54 years to get here. So um, one of the things I've always struggled with is when I see something that you're like, this looks like this was of God. And 
the other things that that person or that group is doing is clearly not of God. So how can this be? I must be reading something wrong. Either they're more more mature than I thought they were, or this thing that I'm seeing them do is not legit. You know, I spent 12 years in a, in a charismatic church, and there were so many times I would see something, and I'm like, I cannot explain what just happened there, except that God supernaturally did that. And also, I know that person, and they are struggling in all kinds of areas. I, I think about, I just wrote this one down, had wrote this this morning or this, this afternoon. Um, there was a podcast I was listening to about the rise and fall of a, of a mega church. There was so much happening in that church that appears to have been God working, doing wonderful things. And also, there was a whole lot of not good in that, that same church. I think Paul's naming that here. You can have both. God can be doing his supernatural work in the midst of people who are very spiritually immature. We're going to come back to this when we, we do it. We're going to do a mini series on the Holy Spirit within this big series of, of, um, of first Corinthians. But I just want to point this out right now with those observations I've had. When you, you have somebody that is spiritually immature and God is working through them, maybe they've got a great teaching ministry. Maybe they have a great healing ministry. Maybe there's some stuff that's really legit. If they're spiritually immature and they got the keys to something that they're not ready to drive, I have seen really bad things happen with that. Be careful about putting people on pedestals. Be really, really careful about that. All right. I came across so much great commentary on this chapter, chapter three. Here's a small sample. The Corinthian culture excelled in competition and their followers called disciples of the various orators spent much of their time ridiculing rival teachers and attempting to create jealousy and strife. I'm reading that and I'm going, that is YouTube. There's a whole genre of these people, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. That's all they do. They, they, they ridicule and attack other people because their doctrine is different. That's their whole shtick. That's their whole brand. They're, they've got hundreds of thousands of views doing exactly what they're talking about here, which Paul says is immature. Immature, yet they present themselves as spiritual people who can look down on these others. That same person I quoted earlier, he also says this. Oh, this is so good. When the Christians do nothing but baptize their personal desires in God language, they remain infantile. When churches no longer concern themselves with how well they reflect the life and teaching of Jesus, they remain infantile. Paul has strong words for the Corinthians. As strong as these ones I just gave you there these in this quote. And when they did things that many of us are hitting like and subscribe to. He had strong words for people that did some things that we, we, we think are okay. Let's continue on. Verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8. Paul picks up where he left off. He goes, okay, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. For he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Okay, I. this is, again, where I, I wrestle with all this because it seems like there's contradictory things within there. It's not, but it sometimes feels that way. And it, it took me last week, it took me until the 1030 service before I recognized the text we were reading last week. 
Oh, it's or, or, or is jumping out at me. Last week, Paul called out the Corinthians, not for saying I follow Paul and I also like Apollos and I also like Cephas. He called them out for saying, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Should that have been an or? No. He uses this illustration of, of the agriculture. If you want corn in the cob this summer, do you want someone to plant or do you want them to water or do you want it to grow? What a great metaphor Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives us. A mature person doesn't turn in something into an or that's not an or. Man, I, and I, I, can I just name something that needs to be named? We, we got to move beyond simplistic slogans. We got, we have to, we have to, we, we, we've got to. In fact, this is a small church right now. I, I have conversations. What are some of the simplistic slogans that people use when it comes to faith that really are, are immature? Here's an example that's based on what we just read in our text. This, this person says, Paul felt it was wrong to say it's all up to God. How many times have I heard that? It's all God. It's all God. He goes, okay, that's not entirely correct. It is equally wrong to say it's up to me, all up to me. We are what? We are God's fellow workers. It, it, somehow it's all related. It is God's work and we are involved in it. What did Paul write? He said, I planted. Apollos watered. God gave the growth. Gordon Fee says it really well with an economy of words when he says, life in the spirit is not passive, nor is obedience automatic. I love that. Our efforts and our obedience matter. And if you don't think that's true, keep reading and let's see what Paul says. He says some really challenging things. In fact, just a minute ago, we read this, verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to what? Do do our actions matter? Does the quality of our work matter? It does. Paul is going to come back to the first half of this verse in chapter 12. So this is another situation. Okay, he hits pause here. He's going to come back to that in chapter 12. But what he does do is with the second half of this verse, he goes right into it, right into it, and he builds on this. Because it's not again not about Paul or Apollos. It's about all of us applying the unique gifts and talents we've been given as part of a united community that God is leading and guiding and growing. So again, he's going to circle back to that about one body later. But he continues this idea right now that the quality of our work matters in these next verses. Verses 9 through 11. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace given me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, why as a church do we anchor like we do to the word of God? Why are we so obsessive about that? Because there's no other foundation upon which you can build an authentic Christian faith. Can I give an amen? All right. And what does Paul say about the how he built on the foundation? He said, I built on this foundation like a master skilled uh, builder. If you tuned out, if you're multitasking right now, uh, come back for this. You want to pay close attention to these words because this is high stakes. High stakes. Listen to this. This is Paul continuing verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, 
Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it's going to be revealed by what? By fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work is anyone, if work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only through the fire. All right, a lot going on here. Paul is drawing in part here from some Old Testament imagery. Imagery that he's going to build on again throughout the letter with this another theme in 1 Corinthians, this theme that we, both individual believers and community faith, were temples of the Holy Spirit. Temples of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God resides in us as Christians and as us corporately together as his body. The very presence of God. In the temple, in the tabernacle, where the presence of God dwelt, what were some of the materials they used? It was the gold. It was the precious stones. And then you've got these other materials, right? So there's a whole layer here of he's linking the temple, us, body, Holy Spirit of God. All right. And then there's this layer. If you're not anchored to a firm foundation, if your faith has not been put together with excellent craftsmanship, good materials, what happens when the storms come to a person like that? Right? Crash. What happens when we're pressure tested? It says you're going to be tested. What happens when you're pressure tested and your faith isn't strong? Again, why are we so committed at Emmanuel to anchoring everything we do to the firm foundation of Jesus Christ? Why are we so obsessive at Emmanuel about attentiveness to our systems and our structures? Why are we attentive to making sure that we're encouraging high-level character in our leaders and saying, we're going to bring our best. We're going to bring our best. Why do we pour so many resources and so much efforts into our young people, into our kids and our teens, where we don't just go, let's just have a face in the crowd. Let's do what we can to get a lot of hype or whatever. Because we are living in an age where foundations are being shaken like I've never seen in my 54 years. Where faith is being pressure tested like I've never seen before in my 54 years. Are we giving our absolute best efforts to, by God's grace, by his spirit, building a faith and a faith community that can thrive and become a shelter and a fortress and a lighthouse in a world that is marked by pandemics and racial tension and political chaos and in the age where biblical beliefs and convictions are so openly slandered and mocked and marginalized and treated with contempt. By God's grace, let's build well. All right, N.T. Wright time. Love N.T. Wright. There are serious and lasting issues at stake. He's talking about this passage. It is possible to build wisely, well, and with the right materials. It is also possible to build what? Badly or with the wrong materials. It is possible actually to pull down the building altogether. God takes these possibilities very seriously, do we? Another good segue here into another layer. The quality of our craftsmanship won't just be tested by the world. That passage we just read, it's going to be tested by who? Too? By God himself. It says about the day. There's going to come a day when we'll be tested by God himself. This is work that really, really matters. 
If this language that we read sounds harsh, it's because it is. It is. I've come to appreciate a scholar named Craig Blomberg. Love Craig Blomberg. This man, he knows the New Testament. And here's what he, he's about to, he's about, this is what he says about the next two verses we're about to read. He says this. These two verses, the two we're about to read, form the strongest warning in all of the New Testament against those who would take the church lightly and destroy it by worldly wisdom and by division. Consider the weight of these words, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you, not just individually, you corporately, you're that temple. Do you not know, Paul says. He doesn't just say that here. Do you not? He says it 10 times in 1 Corinthians, at least 10 times. Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not? You think you're spiritual. You think you're mature. Do you not know? Do you not know these things? You consider yourself wise. You consider yourself spiritual people. Do you not know that the spirit of God dwells in you? Don't take that lightly. You're his temple. And unless you have a study Bible, you can miss even the deeper weight here. Paul doesn't use the Greek word for temple that kind of talks about the whole temple complex. He uses a word that's rarely used for temple, which describes the sacred space where the presence of that deity resides. That's us. We are that space. And we're going to see this again. He weaves all these themes in and out. This theme of body, from here on out, it continues all through 1 Corinthians. And when we come to chapter 6, the chapter where Paul says, okay, now as a person, flee from pornea, which is a, the Greek word for sexual immorality. He says, flee it. In that chapter alone, there are six, do you not know? Six of them in that chapter. They must have really been strung that area. Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? Oh, man. All right. Consider the weight of all that we've just read here. The quality of our work is going to be tested. We're going to be rewarded accordingly. And if you destroy the temple, if you're tearing it down, verse says, God's going to destroy you. Okay, this is how chapter 3 comes to a close. Notice all these links <laughs> that link back to where we started with wisdom. And the ways of Christ, verses 18 to 23, let no one deceive themselves. For if anyone among you thinks they're wise in this age, let them become a fool that they may become wise. For the wisdom of this age, it is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Apollo, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or present, or future. All are yours, and you're Christ's, and Christ is God's. Oh man, we should have more time than we do with this content. It's my hope and prayer that what God does is he amplifies that which is of him and the stuff that I've said wrong or, or not completely, that that'll, that'll just blow away. What Paul has to say about maturity, it is so relevant in our culture. It's as relevant as it's ever been. And here's our invitation to you, to you. If you're taking notes, our invitation is we invite you to move beyond milk. Move beyond milk. So many behaviors that we see in sanctified suburbia, they're a case study in spiritual infancy. Here are just some examples that came to mind. 
simplistic slogans, quarreling over non-essentials, inability to settle disputes among believers, compartmentalizing our lives into sacred or secular, putting people on pedestals, building with wood, hay, and straw, confusing worship preferences with weightier considerations, not celebrating how gifted teachers and leaders complement each other, pride, haughtiness, judging those outside the church. Next week, that's the topic. We're talking about judging. Not holding brothers and sisters accountable, faith that doesn't hold up when pressure tested, ignorance in regards to spiritual gifts, self-serving motives when it comes to spiritual gifts, withholding your unique giftedness from the body of Christ, not desiring the higher gifts, in quotes, failure to radiate faith, hope, and love, beliefs and behaviors that don't reflect the cross, beliefs and behaviors that don't reflect the resurrection. Some of these things that we just are normal, these are signs of immaturity. And then on top of this, when we get to chapter 6, there are some behaviors that Paul just says, this is outside the kingdom of God stuff here. Listen to some of the things on the list. These are normalized. Greed. It's a kingdom disqualifier. Drunkenness. Criticizing others in a harsh and insulting manner. Crossing boundaries and guardrails around sexuality that God's put in place. <laughs> our father, our king, our king, our dad. He invites us to move on from that and pursue authentic spiritual maturity that's spirit-fueled. And I would present to you that we manifest maturity in ways like this. When we treat our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, as individuals, when we treat our body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, as a church, when we lose our selfish selves in worship, when we don't go beyond what is written, when we maintain a humble orthodoxy, when we steward the mysteries well, when we maintain an inter- eternal perspective, when we build with gold, silver, precious stones, when we use our unique gifts to build the body, when we value and celebrate each gift, when we bless those who revile us, we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, when we submit our sexuality, when we don't judge those outside the church, but we hold each other accountable, when we model and advocate unity for Christ, we surrender our rights and freedoms if it causes a brother or sister to stumble, when we are purified through fire and testing, we know how to use our spiritual gifts to build the body, we earnestly desire the higher gifts. I might have hit a cut and paste on that one. We radiate faith, hope, and love when our lives reflect the cross, when our lives reflect the resurrection. All right, who nailed them all? <laughs> one of the things that I love about Paul, and again, one of the reasons I wrestle with this, is he, he puts these high bars, and then he also reminds us about God's amazing grace. And what does he say? He says, I don't boast in all these things that I just gave you. He says, if you're going to boast... Boast in the cross. If you're going to boast about anything, boast about the cross. Boast about a God who is good. A God who is patient. A God who's kind. A God who gives us grace that we don't deserve. A God that gives us grace and gifts that we grow into. Paul opened this. He's calling them saints. They're still his brothers and sisters. God is good. And he's also a God who reminds us that childlike faith is far more desirable than one that's puffed up. 
with what the world considers wisdom. So let me offer some hope and possibly some inspiration here as we bring our time together to a close. I was helping out at youth group a couple weeks ago. I was right here standing right in the spot with our middle schoolers. I love our middle schoolers. This year, we've been talking about, okay, what does it mean to be a, a believer? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we're getting close to the end, close to the end. So I was going to ask them the question, where does the life that you want intersect with the life that Jesus invites us into? Where do these intersect? So before we had that lesson, we huddled up with the leaders and I said, okay, this might be hard for middle schoolers to answer this question. So I want every single, yeah, Jaden was there. I want every single one of you to, to be ready with an answer because if they don't have any, we want to fill this easel up because the life we want is the life Jesus invites us into. So I had them all prepped and ready to go. I asked that question. Middle schoolers start putting other hands. Hands start coming up one after another. And look at the types of things that they had on that easel. I should have taken a picture of it. Joy, peace, kindness, loyalty, courage, consistency, caring, generosity, witnessing well, the kinds of relationships we really want, eternity with God and our friends. Which of these targets are targets that Paul would say, yeah, aim for that? All of them. All of them. (laughs) These are the outcomes of what we often put as the higher things. These are the outcomes of sound doctrine. These are the outcomes of what spiritual gifts are designed to do. I love our middle schoolers. If any of you are watching, well done. Those of you who are leaders and helping pouring into our middle schoolers, parents of middle schoolers, well done. Can we give them a hand? Good job, all of you. So well done. So well done. They're getting it. They're getting it. And may we get it too. Let me pray. Father, we're so thankful that your scriptures are coming true in our midst. First Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in your faith, in your life, in your speech, in your, your purity. Father, thank you for the example that our middle schoolers set. They nailed it. Those are the targets. That's what we're aiming for. So Holy Spirit, help us to rethink what spiritual maturity is and isn't through your lens, God, and help us become more like you. And we are so thankful for your amazing grace. You are so patient with us as we, through your spirit, become more like you just one step at a time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.